1: Hello Warmer for Lilo, welcome to loving Las Vegas for CostcoTubes with myself Greg Spears, and now a part of the Decent Family podcast. It is finally that time of the off season that we begin our look at every single conference of college basketball. i will probably wind up doing, I always do the math, about one and a half previews a week. So three every two weeks until the start of the season, looking at every single conference. Throughout this offseason, getting you set for the regular season. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the Atlantic Sun. Typically, I wind up doing this in alphabetical order from the non-major conferences up into the power conferences. wound up going with the Atlantic Sun just because it was a little bit easier than the America East. So, I did wind up going a little bit out of alphabetical order here. But, I plan on doing the America East relatively soon. Today, it's the Atlantic Sun. And, joining me to be able to break down the conference in the second segment, look at all these rosters, and the realignment that we wind up having out there in this conference as well. That'd be Blake Lovell. He does a great job over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook. The 14, Southeastern 14. Take a look at everything that we've got out there in the Southeast part of the country. We're going to be breaking down every roster. taking a look at the transfers in the final segment. I'm going to give you guys my projected order finish. And as I always do it on these conference previews, I take a look at sort of the betting trends and just some of the styles of the conference in the first segment as well. That's the way that I wind up really doing all these conference previews. We're going to keep it relatively consistent from past years, and typically whenever I wind up doing one this early because I do a write-up for all these school's for Vsin for their college basketball betting guide that typically comes out like a week or two before the season as well. They're a little bit more subject to change like last year I was doing Florida Gulf Coast. I remember you wound up seeing Kevin Samuel wind up getting into the school very late something like that would cause a team to wind up going up or down my power rankings losing a guy like that would be devastating gaining a guy like that. You know how it winds up going but I tried to do my level best to give you guys something as accurate as humanly possible which is why occasionally I will hold off on a conference or two in alphabetical order if there are a few question marks there as well so that's what we're going to be doing with regards to conference previews. Hopefully, I gave you guys a good layout there. And if you ever have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you. For this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gunit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M They mean, does not matter? Size per usual. Please just send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And like I did last season. Since I'm doing a conference preview today, any news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Sunday, I'm going to be tying a boat around those on the podcast tomorrow, so it's pretty much going to be the last 48 hours of college basketball news and notes. So, just a little bit of a disclaimer there. Now let's get down to business. Let's take a look at the Atlantic Sun. And when it comes to the Atlantic Sun and what we wound up getting last season, the two teams that were at the top of the conference, they're no longer there. Jacksonville State and Liberty wound up leaving for football-related reasons, so the top team that returns from last season, that would be Jacksonville and Bellarmine, who both wound up finishing 11-5, and five. and as we know... Bellarmine, they wanted winning the conference tournament, but were unable to make the NCAA tournament because of one of the stupidest rules in all of college basketball, where you had to be at the D1 level for at least three years, and then in year number four, you're eligible for the NCAA tournament, big giant load of garbage, but Bellarmine won the more interesting teams that you were going to find in all of college basketball, and that They were a bottom 30 team in terms of possessions per game, a team that would never wind up running it and gunning it, but they were incredibly efficient on offense, incredibly inefficient on defense, and... As a result, you did wind up seeing some very odd betting trends when it came to this conference. You take a look at last season, and you did wind up seeing Liberty actually be a very good team to the over, because even though they were super-duper slow, they were just pumping in points upon points. You take a look at what you wind up getting out there in the Atlantic Sun last season, and we've got a newcomer from a different conference in Austin P that I'll be getting into in a minute, because they're a very interesting case study when it comes to total, but... Liberty, they were 62% to the over. You want to see Bellarmine, by the way, actually wind up playing out of their 29 games were on the betting board. 58.6% of them to the under 17 unders, 12 overs. But Florida Gulf Coast, they were a team that they wound up playing a little bit more up-tempo. They had 21 overs to 11 unders, but they are one of the teams in the conference that wound up undergoing a little bit of a coaching change as well. There was a team that was not in the conference last year that also did, so we're going to dive into that in a minute. But, you also wound up seeing Kennesaw State give our Odell Kiffin goals. Out of their 27 games, 17 of their games wound up going over the total as well, and it was very fascinating because the Atlantic Sun is known for having a lot of notoriously slow teams. I want to mentioning Bellarmine and the way that they were playing very slow. You wind up seeing Kennesaw Sedu, I just mentioned, had a bunch of overs. They wound up kicking up their tempo last season. You did wind up seeing two teams come into the conference last season, so they're going to be in season number two in the Atlantic Sun. They're two of the more up-tempo teams that we wound up seeing in terms of conference here alignment. Central Arkansas and Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky wound up allowing 75 points per game. They were scoring 79 points per contest Yet they wound up going 5-11 and in conference and 13-18. and That's a straight up record. I'll get into their against the spread record in a few minutes. But they were one of the worst teams in all of college basketball being able to cover despite the fact that they actually wound up being able to score quite a few points, and we did wind up seeing Eastern Kentucky actually be one of your better under teams out there in college basketball. They were by far the best out there in the Atlantic Sun. 63% of their games wound up going under the total. You wound up having a case in which one of their games wound up going under by like one or two points, so that was fascinating. And then you wound up seeing Austin P without Scary Terry Taylor and Jordan Adams. They wound up having to turn over a new leaf while they were out there in the OVC conference. And while Austin Peay was in the OVC, they wind up moving into the Atlantic Sun this year. They were the best underteam in all of college basketball last year. 76. of their games wound up going under the total, and it is going to be very interesting to see what we wind up getting stylistically from all these teams, because Austin P, a team that is very good at being able to generate turnovers, they're in the top 40 in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis last season. You have an Eastern Kentucky team that I just laid out how they were playing so many unders. They were a team that they were really looking to force some turnovers. You've got quite a few teams that they don't wind up forcing a lot of turnovers, like are good friends of Sets and Hatters, so you've got some very much intrigue there, Eastern Kentucky, by the way, with regards to turnover sports on a per-possession basis, 21st in all of college basketball So That goes to show you right there where they were at, and if you just take a look at possessions per game, you've got some tortoises, and you've got some hares as... You wind up having Eastern Kentucky once again be one of the quicker teams in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. They were 18th last season. You wind up seeing Central Arkansas be 14th in terms of total possessions per game. And then Liberty last season, they were still relatively slow. They are now going to be out of conference. So we're going to see a little bit of a changing of the guard there. But Stetson, ever since you wind up seeing Donnie Jones wind up getting there. They've been a little bit of an interesting team. They were right around 200th with regards to possessions per game. I wanted to mentioning Bellarmine. The fact that they are super slow out of 358 D1 teams. 353rd with regards to possessions per game. Jacksonville, they wanted being one of the most tenacious defenses in all of college basketball. Out of 358 D1 teams. 356th with regards to possessions per game. And that leads us to our new D1 team. Queens and Sea. A school that has scored at least 80 and a half points each out of the last seven years, but They come in from the Division II ranks. Now, they've got a little bit of experience at the D1 level. You're going to be hearing about that in the final segment as to why I wound up ranking them where I did in terms of my projected order finish. But they wound up taking down a team with a top 25 recruit two seasons ago. They wound up playing against three D1 schools, really were able to hold their own. They're going to be a little bit of an interesting case study as well as they wound up having to hire from within because they actually wound up losing their coach during the out season to UW-Milwaukee. So with Bart Lundy moving on, it's going to be interesting to see what they wind up getting there. Jamari Smith was one of the best combo players out there at the D2 level. He is going to be out of the fold for this team. So got a lot of intrigue when it comes to the Atlantic Sun. And we're going to call it what it is with regards to the Atlantic Sun. You did wind up seeing a lot of the top teams that wound up being able to excel in the conference last season. Wind up having a little bit of a rough go of it out of conference as well. What I think is going to be of fascination is how this conference winds up being able to hold their own without Liberty. Because Liberty, they wound up actually having a relatively solid season last year as they seem to always do. But out there in the Atlantic Sun, your best team with regards to against the spread record, Jacksonville. They went 19-8-1. ...against the spread covering 70.5% of their games. Here are the teams that wound up having a better against the spread record than Jacksonville last year. Middle Tennessee, who wound up going 26-8-1 and one against the spread. Pauses, and that is the end of the list. They were the second best team against the spread in all of college basketball. Jordan Mincy did a terrific job, and Jacksonville, a little bit more of a defense-oriented team. And then from there, you wound up seeing a pretty significant fall. Eastern Kentucky, I mentioned, had a downtrodden year last year. 9-18 and 18 against the Spray. 33.3% cover rate. Here are the teams that wound up having a worse cover rate than them. Pacific, NC State, Cal State, Bakersfield, Oregon State, Marshall, Miami of Ohio, and Lamar. Throwing their Georgia as well because they were coached by Tom Crean. That is the end of the list. So they wound up having a very bad year. and wound up seeing a lot of teams just not be able to bring it with regards to this conference. You do wind up seeing North Florida, the Mighty body Osprey. They were a little bit pedestrian last year, but because they were catching some numbers. 15-12 and one against the spread. Bellarmine and Central Arkansas, they both went 15 and 12 against the spread with both having between two and three pushes apiece. You did wind up seeing Kennesaw State, Florida Gulf Coast, and Setson all be between 48 and 52.2% against the spread as well. Liberty, they actually wound up being 11-19 against the spread because they were just such big favorites in so many games. And you can tell that the underdogs in this conference wound up having a much better time of it than favorites. The only team that wanted covering fewer than 43.8% of games as an underdog was North Alabama. They were the worst team in the conference, winning just two games within the Atlantic Sun at 7 11 1 against the spread. Jacksonville State, they are now out of the conference, but they went 5-2 against the spread, but you did wind up seeing a lot of teams hit right around 55-57.1%. to Bellarmine, Jacksonville State, North Florida, and Stetson, they were all in that category. And if you're taking a look at what home court advantage wanted a meaning within the conference, it all depended upon the team. Because North Alabama, they went 2-8 and eight against the spread at home. Kennesaw State, Lipscomb, they went 5-7 and seven against the spread. Bellarmine and Stetson. Went between five and six, and five, six, and one against the spread. But Jacksonville nine two and one against the spread at home. Central Arkansas they put together a nice run towards back half of the season. They went eight two and one against the spread. And if you're looking at conference games, and conference games only because. It's a little bit of rough sledding for Central Arkansas at the beginning of the season. For Central Arkansas, 10-6-2 against the spread. And Jacksonville was 13-5-1 against the spread against conference teams. There were only five teams that wound up having a better against the spread record within their conference. UNC Wilmington, St. Peter's, Long Beach State, Santa Clara, and Middle Tennessee. So they really were able to do a good job of being able to dominate out there in the Atlantic Sun and Eastern Kentucky three and 14 against the right within the conference North Alabama 4 and 13 so you could tell that the teams that they wound up having good years within the conference they had very good years the teams that wound up having bad years they wound up having very bad years and it favored a lot of these slower teams last season as well, as a lot of the teams that they want to kicking it up-tempo a little bit more, they wound up having a little bit more of a rough time, so it'll be interesting to see if this winds up holding true with a conference that has seen quite a bit of realignment, so how about if we jump into what to expect out of the conference this year? We're going to be doing that with our good friend Blake Lovell over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook and Southeastern 14 next, right here on Coast, Coast Soups, the Atlantic Sun Conference Previews Edition, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. And we're back! Here, I love you, Las Vegas. We're Coach with myself, Greg Pierce, and now part of the Vison Family Podcast as we continue on with our look at the Atlantic Sun for this upcoming season. And a man that has joined me, I think now for the fourth straight season, to be able to break down this conference, that'd be Blake Lovell. He does an absolutely amazing job over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook. He is based out there where a lot of the schools from the conference are. At slash nearby, that'd be Nashville, Tennessee. Does a great job. You've seen him just all over the place. I know he's done some work when it comes to the Clutch Point Sports app. He's uh he does the Marching to madness podcast, locked on SEC podcast, the F- SEC 14, Southeastern 14. That is all about SEC sports. And to be able to follow Blake on Twitter, that is at the Blake Level. Last name is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. And Blake, great to have you aboard. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I always enjoy it, Greg. Thanks for having me on.
1: It is great to have you aboard, and we're going to be doing this a lot this this off season. We've got realignment out here in the Atlantic Sun, and I mean, the amount of conferences that don't have realignment, you're able to count on, I think, one, maybe two hands. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of changes, but one of the big changes to the Atlantic Sun is no more Liberty, who has just steamrolled the competition year in and year out, so I'm sure that everyone is happy about that including the school that's going from the D2 level up to the D1 level. That'd be Queens NC. And a lot of people might be wondering, hmm, where do I remember Queens NC from? Well, you may recall during the 2020-21 season, they wound up getting hooked up in a multi-team event that included Howard back when they wound up having McKear Maker. They actually beat them by double figures. They gave Belmont a good run for their money, and they played George Mason to within a point. This is a bunch that at the D2 level last year averaged 85.5 points per game. They won 30-4. and four. Now, I don't think that they're going to go 30-4 and four and average 85.5 points per game out there in the Atlantic Sun, but you take a look at the success that schools from the non-D1 level have had go- going up to the D1 level, and I think that Queens can instantly go into this conference and be able to hold their own.
3: Yep, the Royals, Greg, they are officially making their entrance uh, into the Atlantic Sun, but yeah, you and I have talked over the years in different conferences, of course, and you know, we always talk about that transition from a team, You know, how do they make that jump from the D2 level to the D1 level, and I think if you're Queens, to be honest with you, I think you probably couldn't ask for a pretty better situation when you think about it, because we talk about all the movement in the Atlantic Sun and teams going out and in. And like you mentioned, Liberty's out. They've kind of been the team that's had a hold on that conference in recent years. So you lose them. Jacksonville State's moving out, too. So if you're Queens, you're coming in now. And I think the thing we always talk about when we say, how can a team successfully make that transition, I think it's about style. And we always kind of mentioned that, Greg. I mentioned I mean a team that averages eighty-five points a game and obviously gonna be harder to do at the division one level, but I think you're you're seeing a type of style that that has worked at the division two level, and it's can you implement that same sort of style that's clearly going to be, you know, very focused on kind of what they want to do offensively. You look at the points they put up, the type of style that they play, they're gonna get a lot of shots. It is one of those things that I'm very intrigued by and Again, you never know exactly how that's going to look. There's always an adjustment that has to be made. But this is a very interesting you know, program, and you kind of look at what they you know, were able to accomplish here most recently, winning 30 games last year, maybe something more than that. It's been a pretty successful program, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see how they jump into an Atlantic Sun, which at this point, I don't want to say it, maybe it's completely wide open, but again, when you think about the two teams uh, specifically that are moving out, Liberty and Jacksonville State, uh, there's a lot up for grabs.
1: Yep, there certainly is. When you wind up losing a school like Liberty that year in year out has been at the top of the conference, it does allow everyone else to have a little bit more hope and you gotta think that this is a school that's going to do better than last year. I don't know about you, but I think that one of the biggest disappointments I wound up seeing at the mid-major level last year was Eastern Kentucky going 13 and 18 overall and. 5-11 and 11 in the Atlantic Sun last year. This is a bunch that they did wind up putting up their points. They wound up putting up right around 79.5 points per game. They actually had a positive point differential, 4.2, yet they wound up coming up just completely empty in conference. A.W. Hamilton is someone that I feel does a good job as a coach, and they did wind up losing a few pieces in the offseason. Kurt Lewis is now out of the fold for this team. They do wind up losing Jabari Brown, but... I take a look at Eastern Kentucky. You still have quite a bit of the base that was there from last season. It's a school that they've got always that pressing style. They're always able to generate turnovers, especially with now having out of the fold Jacksonville State, along with Liberty. I've got to feel like this is an Eastern Kentucky team that they're not going to fall short twice in two years.
3: Yeah, willing to bet this is one that we got wrong last year, for sure. I think, as we said, we were not expecting... That type of drop-off for them, yeah, it just was not a very fun season. And, you know, that's something we had talked about. Again, going back to the style aspect, you play the type of style that A.W. That Hamilton has, has played there at Eastern Kentucky, and we always have mentioned that, you know, years we've talked about, all right, what was it, four years ago, I think they were you know top 2 I think in tempo and you looked at the average offensive possession length they were top 10 you know that trend's kind of continued here recently funny cuz it's like oh they finished 48th last year in average offensive possession length and that was actually pretty low for them at 16.5 seconds but it is a team that plays that type of style and again you know when you break down how the game is played you know when you are a team like that and you do play that fast up tempo type of style. If it's not effective, you know what you could give up on the defensive end. And when you look at their defensive numbers last year, yeah, they forced turnovers as you would expect, but it just was not a very efficient group. And they just gave up, you know, too many points at times. And and they were just not, you know, what they needed to be offensively either playing that type of style. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to bounce back. I mean, we know it's a team that's going to rely on the three-pointer. Uh, that's always something, too, that we say, you know, if you're not hitting those shots, what does that look like? And they definitely relied on a lot last year. So I'm very curious to see kind of how they bounce back. You know, this was a team that didn't have a ton of experience last year. We kind of knew that going in. They were going to play some new guys. I think it's just a matter of, you know, can they take that step back to where they feel like they should be? And I think, again, This is going to be a running theme, but I think they're one of those teams that you have to look at this and say this is our time to sort of get this opportunity, knowing that, that the powers that have kind of moved out of the conference, can we take that step forward, kind of get back to where we were a couple years ago? Of course, we know when they played really well, 120 something games, can they do that? I think that's going to be interesting.
1: Yep. We're wondering if Eastern Kentucky is able to take that stride forward. We were asking it about this team for so many years before they actually did so last season. As we do a Blake Lovell joining me right here on the podcast, that would be Jacksonville. My goodness, did Jacksonville have a good year last year. They were able to get 21 wins under Jordan Mincy in his first year at the program. All of a sudden, he was really able to get the ship righted. And you take a look at what's coming in for the team as well. Jerry's Cook, a double-figure scorer last year at North Dakota State. He's a guy that is going to be able to come in, and he's going to be able to make some noise. Omar Payne began his career at Florida last year. Didn't wind up seeing a lot of minutes at Illinois, but a power five forward going to be coming in. Dylan O'Hearn, someone that was able to put up some nice summers out there in the American East he comes in, you do wind up losing Tommy Bruner, which that's a little bit of a loss along Tyrese Davis, but you've got a lot of your main pieces returning for Jacksonville team that, as I always like to say, they were a situation, which the whole was greater than some of its parts. One of the best defensive teams at all of college basketball. This is a team that I take a look at and I think that they've got a very good shot of being able to take down the Atlantic sun title this year.
3: Yeah. I mean, you talk about a contrast in styles, the teams we just talked about, and you look at Jacksonville, who was sort of the complete opposite in terms of how they played a very deep- defensive-focused team, and they were in no hurry offensively. They were a team that kind of made other teams grind, and and it worked. And, and, you know, watching them play some of those games, I mean, that's kind of what they had to do, and they understood that. They had to make some of these games grind to be successful, and it worked out well. And like you said, I mean, Jordan Mincy, we had mentioned him coming over, former Florida assistant, um, very familiar with the area. We knew there was going to be a challenge coming in in year one, but boy, he exceeded expectations, and now I think that you've kind of set That in year one, they are going to have an opportunity, I think, to take that next step this season. And I think that's going to mean, you know, contending for the league title. I don't think there's any doubt about that because he was able to kind of put the things in place he needed to from last season. And now you can carry that over. And you mentioned they've got some new additions as well. You know, someone like Omar Payne, I mean, I think he is someone certainly who started at Florida. There was a lot of high expectations for him 6'10, you know, 240, a guy I think that'll come in right away and be able to to make a big impact for them. So yeah, I've always, you know, as someone who's covered the sec, I've always been high on Jordan Mencey whenever he was there at Florida as an assistant. And now to see him have success is pretty fun to watch, but I think they will, they'll be one of those teams right near the top, just in terms of what they were able to do last year. They finished the season with a lot of momentum and now can they kind of take that step forward? I think they'll have the roster to be able to do it.
1: I do think so as well. And I take a look at this team and it might be the most intriguing team in the um because we wound up seeing a lot of changes in the offseason for Florida Gulf Coast. Michael Fly is out. Pat Chambers, who last we saw him at Penn State, well, you want know, to get in canned for things that were not necessarily so terrific. That's a, another podcast for another day. But with that said, he led Penn State actually to a top 10 ranking before COVID wound up cutting that season short. Now he comes into Florida Gulf Coast. He takes someone along with him from the Big Ten, and that'd be Isaiah Thompson. Someone who was at Purdue, a good sharp shooter. Along with that, Sam Onu, a former top 150 recruit, six foot eleven, 270 pound gentleman. He's coming in from Memphis. Chase Johnson, one of the best peer scorers out there in the conference, comes in. Demir Bishop comes in. Now they lose Kevin Samuel, the best shot blocker in the conference from last season. Tavian Dun Martin, he is done after he spent about 57 years in college. But I did take a look at this Florida Gulf Coast team, and continuity might be a little bit of an issue, but. Talent, certainly not liking here. And you do have a guy in Pat Chambers who showed up at Penn State. He's able to do a pretty good job against a very good competition.
3: Yeah, and I mean, he's had no issue, you know, getting talent. And I think that's something that, you know, as you said, you're already seeing there at Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, a team that it was kind of interesting, you know, the way the whole thing went down. Um, you know, they actually had a, a really successful year, and that was just not enough for them to be able to, you know, kind of halt making that coaching change. And they decided to go to Pat Chambers. And look, I mean, he is someone that, you know, there'll be people on different sides in terms of what they thought of him and the job he did at Penn State. But, I mean, this is something where, It's a guy that's had success, and I mean, over the years, I think he is someone that, again, you've talked about it, kind of proven being able to take some of those hits in the Big Ten, and now you have a guy who can also bring in some quality talent, and I think he's already doing that. So they're another one that I think is, you said the word intriguing, I think that's it. I mean, I think they're one to, interesting to look at last year and kind of see where they were and think, all right, well... They made a coaching change despite that. And yet, I think they can probably get close to about that same level. If not, you know, have a chance to, to win a lot of games. So you never know. I mean, the the adjustment, you mentioned the continuity. I think that's something that will be interesting to see when you compare them to some of the other teams around the league. But to me, it feels like a nice spot for Pat Chambers to kind of, you know, move back forward in his career. And I think, you know, again, we know kind of the, the history with Florida Gulf Coast and kind of what they want to achieve There's no doubt they want to get back to where they used to be. As Dunk City, you know, is the the program that's making noise at the mid-major level, and it'll be interesting to see if Pat Chambers can do it, but I think he's got some pieces right away that could allow him to win some games.
1: I agree with you. I do think that Florida Gulf Coast... Going to be a team that is probably going to be, in my opinion, maybe not number one out there in the conference. But I do think that they're going to be towards the top right of the way. And I do think that Pat Chambers has really brought in some good pieces as we do at Blake Lovell. Does a great job over there at Blue Ribbon Europe. But he's joining me to break down the Atlantic Sun. And this team wanted finishing dead last in the conference last season. And I do think that there is a path forward. For North Alabama, they do wind up bringing in K.J. Johnson, who was very solid last season at Lipscomb and really last few years at Lipscomb has been a good, steady Eddie guy. Wound up seeing a little bit of a drop with regards to his scoring last season after two years ago, averaged 13.5 points, 2.5 assists, shot 39% from three. And it's the North Alabama team that they need a facilitator with regards to assists on a per-possession basis, one of the worst teams in all of college basketball last season. And the defense honestly wasn't terrible with them. The problem was is that it just felt like they had a lot of hero ball out there. Jabari Blackman, who is really the main facilitator for the team last season, he's out of the fold, but do have a very promising freshman in Daniel Ortiz that wound up having 145 points per game last season for North Alabama. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to be towards the top of the conference, but I certainly think that they're going to be able to improve from the two of 14 that they put up in the Atlantic Sun last season.
3: Yeah, they'll be better. How much better I think remains to be seen. Because like you said, it's been pretty clear thus far. When you look at kind of the trends for them, they just have not been able to figure it out offensively since they made, you know, the transition into division one in the A Sun. And I mean, last year was the worst of that statistically in terms of what they just could not do offensively. I mean, they just were a team that could not score on a consistent basis. And as we know, Greg, that's something you got to be able to do to win games. And now it's knowing that this is a league, and we've talked about some of these programs thus far you're going to have a contrast in styles with some of these teams. And I think if you can't find a way to, you know, adjust to that and be able to score against different defenses and different styles, that's going to be a challenge. And I think that's probably going to be the same thing we're talking about with North Alabama coming into this season. And, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, can they make that move with a team that I know we said last year, they weren't going to have a lot of experience. It was going to be an uphill climb no matter what, and kind of turned out that way. So I don't have a lot of expectations for them. I think they're one of those teams. Look, they finished where they finished last year. Again, some decent pieces on the roster. But when you're looking and comparing them to these other teams, you know, you're just going to have a hard time, I think, to say, oh, yeah, I can see them being better than them or being better than that team. Maybe there are a couple of teams, you know, you can make that argument for. But I think right now, you know, some of the teams we talked about, if you're comparing them to a Jacksonville, Florida Gulf Coast, some of these other teams, you're not going to make that same argument argument probably just based on where North Alabama's at.
1: There's no question. They are not there with some of the top teams out there in this conference. But the question is, are they going to be able to rise up just a little bit? Because I take a look at this school and they really wound up doing nothing in the off season and they've got talent. I just don't know if the pieces fit together. That'd be North Florida because Carter Hendrickson has been there for quite a while, a guy that stands right around six foot seven, He does a solid job of being able to pop some threes. Jose Placer wanted missing a few games last season, but he's a guy that's able to give you nearly 15 points per game. Relatively solid shooter. You take a look at the roster for North Florida, and you think out there in a conference like the Atlantic Sun that this would be a solid team, especially with Jaden Parker doing some good work down low. But Last year, they wound up finishing 11-20, and sub-500 in conference, and really, other than Oscar Barry from Fairleigh Dickinson, they're bringing in nothing of note, so I take a look at this North Florida team, and it feels stagnant. I don't think that they're going to be falling down, and they're going to be towards bottom of the conference. I just don't see how they wind up rising up from, say, the middle of the conference, though, as well.
3: Yeah, I think it's the same discussion. They've been a team, I guess, what, over the past several years. You know, they had that one good season a couple of years ago, but... They've been one that I think has been hit by transfers too. You know, I think that's where, if you're Matthew Driscoll and you kind of look at the continuity, we just talked about that with some of these other teams. That's been the bigger issue, I think, for them is they've just been not been able to kind of have that continuity year over, year by year. And I think that's kind of put them probably in a spot where they didn't expect to be. You know, at this point, and that's where you know you're putting yourself kind of behind the eight ball, so to speak, in terms of not being able to have that same continuity. You're still going to have some players on the roster that you know, we'll be very good players. And and I think that's something that you'll expect as a team, that's probably going to wind up, you know, maybe somewhere in that middle below in there and just may beat some teams. You don't expect them to beat. It's kind of just one of those things where just, I think consistency has not been, you know, the theme for this program. And I think that's the problem right now is they just have not had the consistency they want. Look, you know what they're going to do scheduling wise, Greg, they're going to play a lot of tough games in the non-conference to try to prepare them for the A-Sun, but they've just not really been consistent on either side of the court. I mean, you know, their numbers have just been up and down over the years. I think that's probably kind of what the expectation is right now, as we're talking in June, I don't have many higher expectations than that other than a team that will be more experienced than we were last year. And that's because they were one of the least experienced teams in the country, but I just don't know really what to expect. I think that will at least add a little bit of value, give them maybe a couple more wins there. But beyond that, in this new look, a son, I have a hard time figuring them out just because I don't know exactly what they're going to look like night in night out.
1: Yep, I agree with you there. It certainly has been a little bit of a mystery and it's been a little bit of a mystery as to why Lipscomb hasn't had more success under Lenny Acuff. When he wound up getting hired on from the D2 level a few years ago, I was very bullish on this Lipscomb team. They wound up finishing six and ten in conference last season, and it's not that the offense was bad. This defense was absolutely dreadful last season. They were in the bottom twenty five in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. a team that they actually doled out the ball pretty well. They didn't do the world's worst job on the glass, but I mean, despite the fact that they gave up seventy seven points per game, they forced ten turnovers per contest. That was one of the worst marks in all of college basketball. They really don't lose much with regards to the transfer portal. Asan Asadula, Mr. Do It All, the sand six foot eight. He gives you 15 points, nine boards, four and a half assists. He is back, and he might be the most versatile player in this entire conference. Jacob Onyesevich, as a freshman, was really able to take some strides for, but KJ Johnson, he transfers from within the conference to North Alabama. They do wind up picking up A.J. McGinnis from Cincinnati. But with Lipscomb, the big question is, is this team going to be able to play a lick of defense? Because the offense is there with them. The defense last year was dreadful and absolutely killed
3: them. It's also crazy to think that this is going to be Lenny Acuff's fourth season. I feel like just yesterday, you know, Casey Alexander was still there. And they got to the Madison Square Garden in the NIT. But I'm like, man, it's, is this really going to be year four for Lenny Acuff? It is. And that is something where when he came in, all the talk we had, Greg, was around everybody's like, you know, this guy is an offensive, you know, genius. He is someone who will be able to get them going offensively. And sure, they haven't been, you know, perfect by any means in that regard. But, you know, you knew there were going to be some adjustments with figuring out the roster and all those things. And now in year four, I mean, it's the transfer era and, you know, you've got guys going out, but they at least have some guys in place. They should be able to kind of lean on going into the season. But like you said, I mean, the theme has been trying to get the offense going in the right direction. But unfortunately, the team over these you know three years thus far has been a team that just defensively, if they just had that extra something, we'd be having a much different conversation. But they just are not playing enough defense right now to kind of get them where they need to be. And there's no doubt you know, when you look at going into this offseason, I'm, I'm sure if you ask Lenny Acuff right now, what's the number one priority? It's fixing our defense. We have to be better defensively we have to be a little bit better uh, in terms of efficiency on our offense, knowing how they're going to run their stuff. And and I think they run some good stuff watching them play. They can be a really good offensive team. If you don't play defense and you're off, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on your offense. We always say that. And I tend to be more optimistic on them, thinking that they should be able to kind of make that jump up. And I'm going to add in, you know, what we said, the caveat with everything is that Liberty and Jacksonville State aren't there anymore. So I think that's going to give you a little bit of opportunity, not just for Lipscomb, but for everyone else. But I mean, beyond that, I think you got to see it first. I think you've got to see them you know, be a good team defensively for the entire season, because we just have not seen that thus far in the Lenny cuff era. And, and there's no doubt. I mean, that's the thing that's holding them back right now. And if they can get that changed, I think they'll have a chance to maybe be the surprise team in the league. But if they can't, it's just going to, again, put a lot of pressure on them offensively for a team that is going to have some new pieces in place. And has not been perfect offensively uh, to start with.
1: Yep. It certainly has been intriguing to take a look at Lipscomb the last few years as I've had higher expectations for them. And after a good year one for Stetson under Donnie Jones, I wound up having higher expectations than what they've been able to reach the last two years. As we do at Blake level does a great job with the blue ribbon yearbook joining me on the podcast and for Stetson under year three of Donnie Jones, it did not go well for them five and 11 in conference now. I will say they wound up having Rob Perry pretty much bolt the program halfway through the season. He was their top scorer, but you lose each out of your top three scorers from last year. They don't have a single guy that returns that average more than 7.2 points per game. Chase Johnson, Christian Jones, Rob Perry, all out of the fold. A little bit of a new look team. They bring in Jalen Blackman, someone who did not wind up seeing a lot of minutes at Grand Canyon, but guy with some upside, Alec Oglesby. He was at... Cleveland State a few years ago last year just didn't wind up seeing a lot of playing time. AUNC Wilmington, Luke Brown, he's going to try to come in and help the team out after he just didn't wind up seeing the minutes they would have desired at Ball State. But I take a look at this Stetson team and I was really high on Donnie Jones after year number one. It feels like they've almost went backwards and I don't know if there's a way forward for the team at this point because I'm not necessarily impressed by what they brought in and losing your top three scorers from a year ago, that's just devastating.
3: Yeah, going to be a challenge because, you know, this was not a great team to start with last year, go 11 and 19. And I don't want to put them exactly, you know, with North Alabama, but let's be honest. I mean, these were kind of the two teams that you kind of looked at last year with with North Florida, I think included kind of in that mix in terms of just kind of where they were. But I just don't have a lot of high expectations for this program right now. And, you know, I, I don't want to knock Donnie Jones for that because, you know, like you said, it certainly came in and wasn't like this was a program that was uh, doing everything great when he took over. But now when you kind of look at where they are, this to me feels like a team that just has not been able to really build that identity, right, in his first three seasons. And that's something that we've seen other programs kind of had that success. When you look at, you know, the teams that have had the success in the A-Sun, you know, why has Liberty been so successful? Well, it's because Richie McKay came back. He had that identity. You knew exactly how they were going to play. They were going to make teams adjust around them. And over time, you know, it worked. And we haven't seen a lot of people be able to do that. It's the same thing with Lipscomb, right? When Casey Alexander was there and all that. But now you just have some of these programs, I think, that, you know, number one, let's be honest. Two, when you have your losing players, you're losing your top three scor- scores like Stetson is, it makes that continuity thing difficult. And I think that's going to be the discussion we have year in and year out now. And, and I'm sure it's frustrating for coaches, especially if you're someone coaching in a league like the A Sun, where there is going to be turnover like this you could lose some of your better players elsewhere and that just kind of makes you start all over and unfortunately for Stetson you know if they're starting all over losing, trying to figure out how to replace those guys in particular your team that only won 11 games last year and I think it'll be an uphill climb
1: yep I agree with you there it certainly is tough when you wind up losing a lot of those young pieces and Fortunately for this school, they have not experienced that, as Kennesaw State has really been trying to build themselves up from the ground up pretty much, because I still remember a few years ago, this was one of the worst teams out there in all of college basketball, but Amir Abdul-Rahim has come in, and he's actually got some young guys that have stuck together the last few years. They're bringing in Quincy Adamokea. He winds up coming in from Temple, someone that was a former top 500 prospect, six foot six combo player, and... On top of that, they really don't lose anything by the transfer portal. Chris Youngblood, who put up right around 14 points, five rebounds per game, he's going to be back to fold along Tyrell Burton, who wound up running things out there in the backcourt. Spencer Rogers, who began his career at Troy, he's been a nice little combo player. He comes into the fold. I do fear that that lack of a necessarily go-to guy might wind up hurting them a little bit. But I take a look at Kennesaw State, seven to nine in conference last year. Doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot. But prior to that, they had won a combined two conference games the last two seasons. So strides forward, we're taking for Kennesaw State. We give our Odellane Kiff and go Owls, but I take a look at Kennesaw State and all of a sudden I'm a little bit more bullish on them.
3: When you're six and forty-seven, I think it is, Greg. You know, I'm not great at math, but when you're you're six and forty-seven overall, your previous two seasons, you won two conference games. I think you'll take a thirteen and eighteen season. And uh, <laughs> that is a major success, uh, for sure for Amir Abdul-Rahim and you know, he's another former SEC assistant coming from Georgia. And I think that's also a discussion we probably had a couple of years ago when we said he's going to take over. We probably said it too. We said, look, he's probably not going to win even a handful of games in year one. He didn't. They go one and 28, wins a handful in year two, going five and 19. But it was something where if he could just put the foundation in place, I did feel like he was a good hire for this program. And now we're seeing that kind of going back to last season for them to do what they were able to do. And even if they don't take a huge jump forward, at least they're back to sort of that stable ground that it's really hard sometimes. We always kind of mention if you're a program that just completely bottoms out, it could take many years to kind of get you back just to being in that stable area of, you know, even being close to a five hundred type team. Well, they were able to do it in a couple seasons. That's so I think you have to give him and his staff credit for that. And I think that will pay off going into this season. I think, you know, when you compare their roster to some of the others. Maybe there's still some things, you know, yet to be determined. They need to figure out a couple things in different areas. But I look at them and say, hey, maybe this again, I I guess you call them the surprise of the league last year just because they won so many games and they just had not done that in recent seasons. But, you know, maybe they can be the surprise again this year in terms of, you know, maybe flipping that. Can they get to 18 and 13 versus 13 and 18? Is that possible? Maybe a challenge, but I think you have to look at the jump they made in year three. Under Amir Abdul Rahim, and you have to feel at least confident that he's going to be able to push some of those buttons, and get them, at least keep them there. And if you can do that, that's better than anything than going backwards. So they're probably one of the other teams I'm very intrigued by heading into this season, just because I want to see could they possibly take that next step now, be a, a winning team record wise? And then if they can, you know, can they be right there in that picks? It will be interesting to see with them.
1: Yep, I agree with you there. And this is another team that I didn't have high expectations for. And we're not going to go out here and say that this team was like just a game or two away from making the Final Four or anything like that. But Central Arkansas, 7-9 and in conference, I had lower expectations for them than what they wound up having. And they've got a young freshman in Cameron Hunter who last year put up 14 points, 3.5 assists, 5 rebounds per game. There is clearly some pieces that are in place. They really didn't lose much via the transfer portal. Jackson Baker wound up putting up 4.5 points per game. That's really the only guy that they wind up losing from last season. Eddie Cooley-Loud, who it feels like has been there for forever. 35.5% three-point shooter. He's back if they can wind up bearing just a couple more threes. They were 336th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. That would be beneficial. But I think a look at Central Arkansas. Grody out of conference. They had a bad just out-of-conference schedule in general. But that said, when it came to the back half of the season, they were able to put together some wins. And you got to wonder if that late momentum towards the end of the season can wind up being able to bleed into the 2022 23 season.
3: Yeah, I'm curious with them too. You know, another team where I think it's like we always have the momentum discussion and it's obviously changed over the years with transfers being as prevalent as they are now, but I still think there's something to that. I mean, when you have some pieces coming back that you know are going to be part of your nucleus going into the season, I think that that can be important to kind of build off of that and you have kind of that going into the summer and your off-season workouts and all those other things. You know, another program, I think you're going to look at it and say, all right, can we now take that, that next step, you know, which you were able to do that going. From kind of year one to year two, can we now take that next jump? And it, it is interesting, I think, Greg, to kind of look at a lot of these programs and kind of where they're at, and, and knowing that there is an opportunity opening up here with some of the teams that are leaving. I am very interested to see. You know, we've talked about Kennesaw State. We've talked about some of these other teams that have made these jumps. You know, Central Arkansas may be in that category. Can some of these other teams? Kind of be in that mix to be able to kind of take that step forward. Look, somebody's got to win these games. And there were some teams last year, as we said, that, you know, maybe won more games than you expected. Some teams that were more disappointing. But I look at Central Arkansas and I see a team that we kind of know that they've carved out a style that they want to play and it's going to be an up tempo type style. You've just got to be better and more efficient at it uh, to be able to win games. And so we'll see what happens. They're another one that honestly, right now, I probably have a hard time figuring out where to place them because I think they're kind of in that mix of, of those teams, what we said, that just have some unknowns and you don't really know you know, which of those teams are going to separate themselves, but at least intrigued. I guess that's, that's better than nothing. Yep. And we've got a
1: team to take a look at, Blake, and that's a team that is out there in your state of Tennessee. And that's one of the new teams. The awesome P Governors, which this is going to be fascinating. They did wind up going 8-10 in the OVC. Took a little bit of a step back after they wanted going through a coaching change. It was the first year under Nate James after Matt Figure. He wound up doing a solid job with the program the last few years when you wind up losing scary Terry Taylor. That winds up hurting things who, if you've never heard of, scary Terry Taylor. He was one of the best major college basketball players that we've seen in the last few years. Guy was just absolutely incredible, but I take a look at this awesome P team. They did wind up having a couple defections in the offseason, but they do wind up retaining a guy that I think is so important, Elijah Hutchins Everett. 12.5 points, 7 rebounds, was one of the most underrated freshmen in all of college basketball last season. You had Caleb Stone Carwell as a freshman be able to chip in there right around 11.5 points per game. They've got Cam Copeland, who's going to be back in the fold for the team as well. They do wind up losing Corbin Merritt, but you had high expectations, did not wind up living up to them. Carlos Paez has formed himself into a relatively solid point guard and just bringing over a little bit of a different style from the OVC I think that that could wind up catching quite a few teams off guard. And I think that Austin P. right away, I'm not going to say that they become a contender for number one in the conference, but certainly a spot in that top three, top four.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I think they certainly didn't have the season they wanted to have. I think you could, you know, Nate James will tell you that. And of course you kind of look at his background. I mean, this guy, as we know, Greg, as a coach, he's used to winning as a former Duke guy being there pretty much his entire coaching career up till now. And so, He's used to winning, and I think he will have them back to doing that this season because, like you said, you look at kind of the guys they're going to bring back, and those two guys in particular, those two freshmen you mentioned with Hutchins-Everett, stone so Well, those guys, I think you now see them take that next step in terms of their individual development, and that's something, as we know, too, Greg, like in a league like the A-Sun where there are a lot of changes, if you have a couple guys you can just really lean on and they've been in the program They've already proven they can do it at a high level. You know, when you look at the OVC and the ASUN, I think probably some similarities there in terms of some of the stuff that they are kind of lower tier in terms of uh, looking at the power ratings and all that. But I think Austin P will have a chance to be a contender for this league title. And again, I'm putting a lot of that probably on confidence in Nate James and figuring it out and being able to develop players because we did see that when what it was he would he was able to do last year. We saw him able to to develop some of these younger talents. And I think now another off season under your belt, can you do that again? And you're changing conferences, there will be some adjustments. But I am pretty optimistic about what they'll be able to do in his second season. Was not pretty by any means last year, but I don't know really that anyone expected to be, knowing all of those defections you mentioned, losing some of your best players it was going to be a roster that was just put together and you hope for the best. And that's kind of what they had to do last year. And now a little bit of continuity and I think they'll have a pretty good season. And, and maybe they are a team that's right there uh, at the top, having a chance to, to, maybe snag the league title.
1: Yep. It's going to be so interesting to take a look at this very new look at Atlantic set over the last two years. We have seen a lot of changes and we do have one other team to take a look at as well as we do a Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast. I can't believe I nearly forgot about this team. How about Bellarmine, the team that should have went to the NCAA tournament last year <laughs> from the Atlantic Sun? They wind up going 11-5 in conference. They wind up winning the A-Sun title. Fortunately, they were still able to take part in a little bit of an off season. But what I think is really big for this team, and it went under the radar, Dylan Penn heart and of the team, 16.5 points, four boards, five assists, He is now at Vermont. That is really going to put this Bellarmine team behind the eight ball. Now, past that, darn near everyone else is going to be returning for this team. You wound up having a guy like a Kurt Hopf, who has a freshman was able to put up seven points, four and a half rebounds per game. He's going to be back out there in the fold. And I just think that this is an intriguing team to take a look at in general. One of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. A team that really had, shall we say, no interior whatsoever, but a very efficient offense. So I take a look at Bellarmine, and I think that they're a very interesting case study because I do think that the loss of Penn, one of the biggest in this conference.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you look at what Penn was able to conference last year, you look at his numbers. I mean, that, again, kind of goes back to the discussion we had about Austin P. where if you have some of these star-type players that can put up numbers consistently, that can be big in a conference like the A-Sun, and now to lose him – I mean, look at the scoring output he had at times, Greg. What was that? I think he had the 30, 36, 38 point game last year against someone in conference play and just the numbers that he was able to put up. Remarkable. And now to lose him, they're going to have to rebuild some things. But we do know that was the thing we talked about, you know, with the Knights when they came in a couple of years ago. We said, hey, Scott Davenport, offensively, they are going to be, you know, hitting on all cylinders. They know how they want to play. They are going to play their style. It's going to be a little bit slower than people will want, but they will sort of slice you and dice you, and they will make the plays, put the ball where it needs to go, and now it's just a matter of finding, okay, who's that going to be, not named Penn, but I think they've got some options. You know, we talk about a team that was very experienced last year. And again, I don't want to get into this discussion, Greg, but a team that wins their conference tournament yet cannot play in the NCAA tournament. This whole transition period, I don't know. This is archaic at this point. I don't know why we're still doing this. If they're playing the league to me, I feel like you've transitioned enough if you're playing a full league schedule, which they did, but maybe that'll give them a little bit of momentum too coming out of this. And they'll have a bit of a chip on their shoulder knowing that they do have to replace a really good player in pen, but Hey, they've not had that hard adjustment. That some other programs have had making that jump, and they were one that we kind of thought that, like we said going in, we said, "Hey, this is a program. When you look at the success they've had, they could actually be pretty, you know, successful making this jump, and they have." The first couple seasons, I have no doubt that they'll keep that rolling this year. And and I think they'll be one of those teams again, right there near the top of the conference.
1: Yep. I think that it's going to be so interesting to take a look at a little bit of the changing of the guard, to say the least, with Bellerman losing Dylan Penn. And then you wind up having a lot of seniors and graduate guys like Ethan Clay come and company. But We have seen it with his coaching staff being able to do just a masterful job ever since they wound up getting into this conference with Scott Davenport, doing one of the best coaching jobs, in my opinion, in all of college basketball, and one of the men that does the best job of taking a look at things in you know, all of college basketball. That'd be you, Blake. You do tremendous work over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook. I know that you guys are getting set to preview all these conferences, all these teams. And I know that you do a tremendous job with regards to a pair of podcasts, Lockdown SEC podcast, Marching the Bandits podcast. Your written work is all over the place. You do a great job covering the SEC. So, all we'll the good people know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you got going on in general.
3: Yeah, I always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, uh, SEC-related stuff, uh, we got that all covered. You can find a lot of that at southeastern14.com, a lot of SEC basketball offseason stuff, which I know we'll talk about throughout the summer but if you want everything else uh, the blue ribbon college basketball yearbook uh, already underway getting things set for our you know usual septemberish uh, release that we have and as you know greg uh, we talk about it every year just an invaluable resource for college basketball fans we have it all covered there blue ribbon you can go ahead and get your site set on that and uh, yeah it will will be here before you know it the season will be here before you know it already june so not that far away
1: nope it is not that far away it's creeping up on us before we know it and it is good that we're back into previewing all these conferences blake always joins me during the summertime to break down a few of these always does a great job taking a look at the atlantic sun and brought the goods once again today so big thanks to blake level for joining me right here on Coast, Coast soups now part of the beast family family podcast that coming up next it is that time the podcast i give you my projector or finish for the atlantic sun
0: And we're back here at Las Vegas for Cuts and Good soups
1: with myself, Craig Ead Spears. And now a part of the Beason Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get Blake Lovell on. He has joined me each out of the last, I believe now, four years to preview this fine conference. He always does a great job of being able to bring the goods year in and year out. This man does absolutely amazing work when it comes to being over there at Blue Ribbon Eurobook, taking a look at everything that we've got in college basketball. And He brought the goods once again today. So a big thanks to him. ...for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I do wind up doing my projector finish for the Atlantic Sun... ...like I wanted mentioning in the first segment... ...because I'm doing a conference preview today. News and notes of college basketball that we want to seeing on Sunday. I'm going to be tying a bow around those tomorrow. But let's dive into it. Take a look at what we're all going to be getting in this conference. And at dead last, we're going to be going with the Hatters of Stetson. With Stetson, they wind up losing just so much firepower... From last season, as they did wind up seeing midstream last season, Rob Perry decided that he was going to transfer out of the program. He is now at Murray State. You wound up having Chase Johnson, who I believe wound up leading the team in terms of total points per game. He is now in the fold as well. Stetson was actually 8-7-2 against the spread last season, but you take a look at them straight up. They were sort of a hot mess. They wound up going 5-11 against the Atlantic Sun in terms of straight-up record. They wind up losing Christian Jones as well. He's out of eligibility, so... You do not wind up turning a single player that had more than 7.2 points per game. They do have Stefan Swenson back in the fold, The guy that was able to average 5.3 assists per game. And they are bringing in a couple guys from the junior college level. But... I, it's not like this is a team that is bringing in super high-level guys with regards to these Juco transfers. Donnie Jones is a guy that I have a lot of respect for. I thought that he wound up doing a little bit of a better job at Central Florida than many wound up giving him credit for. And they do wind up bringing in a couple pieces via the transfer portal. Jalen Blackman is someone that wound up beginning his career at Grand Canyon. I think that he's going to be able to come in. He's going to be able to give the team a little bit of production. He was a little bit of a highly touted prospect that they just couldn't wind up sashing. For lack of a better term, why was Zach Grand Canyon Alec Oglesby was on that Cleveland State team that they did wind up making the NCAA tournament a few seasons ago. He's a six foot five. A little bit of a combo player while he was over there at Cleveland State. Shot 43.5% for three, but this last year on four and a half threes per contest for UNC Wilmington. Shot 22% for three. I think that he's probably somewhere in the middle of those two numbers. And then when it comes to the gentleman from Ball State and Luke Brown, not necessarily sure what to be able to expect out of him. Someone who didn't mind chipping in there right around three and a half points per contest. Not necessarily a highly touted guy. Not someone that I think is really going to be a game-breaker. Mamadou DeWaria is back down low. He was able to give the team six rebounds per game. But I do think that it's going to be a relatively rough ride for this team. You can tell that things just wound up falling apart from the seams because you did wind up seeing Rob Perry just bolt the program mid season. You got to feel like there's just a bad vibe with regards to the Setson program. It looked like there was an upward trajectory for them. It seems to have been halted. So, dead last, my projector finished. We are going to be going with the headers of Setson. At number 11 in terms of my projector of finish, I'm going to be going with North Alabama. North Alabama does wind up losing Jamari Blackman from last season. That is going to wind up hurting them. But the reason why I wind up having them at number 11 instead of number 12 is that I do think that the familiarity within the conference of K.J. Johnson is going to be able to help them out. You take a look at what you're able to get out of K.J. Johnson. And last season, he wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it. Six and a half points per contest, but was still able to give out right around three assists per contest. During the 2020-21 season. Showed that he could be a little bit of a prolific scorer. 13.5 points per contest. Shot 39% from three-point range. So he should be able to come in and help out a bunch. Of which they were relatively brutal with regards to their shooting in general. 340th in the country in two-point shooting percentage. 80th in three-point shooting percentage. A team that they didn't do a great job of being able to draw fouls in general, but Daniel Ortiz should be able to come in and do a very solid job with regards to the team. 14 and a half points per contest. Now they do lose a guy with a little bit of upside in my opinion. Pape Momart Momartise, he was someone that down low was able to give the team a couple rebounds. Wound up having a few flashes. I actually think that that's a little bit more impactful than many people think. But Ian Nelson, who winds coming in from Wyoming, was used sparingly, but a little bit of a six foot ten gentleman that should be able to come in, should be able to give the team some rebounding immediately. I think is going to be able to help this program out. And I take a look at North Alabama. They've been a team that has always been a little bit pesky, even in their games where they were just completely outgunned against the likes of Gonzaga and company. They still always wound up giving you a relatively solid effort. I like what I saw out of them a little bit more last season in outmatch situations rather than Stetson losing Jamari Blackman. That is certainly going to put them behind the eight ball. But I do think that this is a team that is going to be relatively competitive enough to be able to avoid the seller. I've got North Alabama at number 11 in regards to my projector finish. This is going to surprise a lot of people. At number 10, I've got Bellarmine. And the reason why I've got Bellarmine at number 10 is that they wound up having a lot of fifth-year seniors on the roster last season. You wound up hearing it laid out in the first segment. They were 353rd out of 358 D1 teams in terms of tempo. And when you wind up losing Dylan Penn, who wound up having 16 and a half points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists per game for a team that they really relied upon efficiency... That's really going to put you behind the 8-ball. Now, Justin Betts is someone that is very solid. He's going to be returning after he wound up leading the team in rebounds with 7.1 per contest. But nobody else gave this team more than 4.2 rebounds a game. You take a look at Bellarmine, and you really don't have a lot coming in with regards to the transfer portal. And that's going to wind up putting them behind the 8-ball. This is a team that, unless if they wind up changing the rules, they're still going to be ineligible for postseason play. They do wind up losing Baylor Yonker as well, someone that they were looking at as a little bit more of a stash guy down low as well, so for Bellarmine, I do think that things are going to be looking a little bit more rough for them. Ethan Claycomb last season was able to do a solid job for them. He wound up shipping in their 8.5 points per contest. With someone that shot 80% the free-throw line, right around 33.5% from three-point range. Losing him from that core that is going to be hurting them a little bit as well. And with Bellerman, I think that they are going to be figured out a little bit more this season as well. We've noticed that with all, a lot of these schools that they wind up going from the D2 level up to the D1 level. After a few years, the teams in their respective conference, they wind up being able to catch on a little bit. Now Kurt Huff is someone with some upside as a freshman last year at six foot eight, He was able to give the team 7 points. rebounds per game, but this is a team that they're going to need to turn over a new leaf, in my opinion. They're going to need to embrace what they have down low because they don't have as much out there in the backcourt. Garrett Tipton, he's really going to need to take hold of the offense. I don't know if he's going to be able to do so. Now, they did wind up redshirting a few guys. Even someone like a Ben Johnson is going to need to step up, be able to give this team some good minutes. Sam DeVault is someone that's six foot ten as well, so I do think that this team is going to have a little bit more size down low, but I don't think that they're going to be able to play the same style and be able to use the same results as last season and with the teams coming in I feel like this is a little bit of a better conference so at number 10 in my projector finish I know it's not going to be a popular opinion by many people but I've got Bellarmine at number nine I do have Central Arkansas a team that they wound up catching quite a bit of fire towards back out of the season in the beginning part of the season in non-conference play they were able to get a nice win against Oral Roberts from there things wound up going straight down the toilet bowl but I do take a look at Central Arkansas is this team going to be bringing in like any flashy transfers to be able to uplift this program. No, but last season they were able to do a relatively solid job as they did wind up having Darius Hall come in. He was able to give the team 13 points, six half rebounds, 3.5 assists. He was able to be a nice combo player. Was out for a few games due to injury, but what is so key for Central Arkansas is the fact that they were headlined by a freshman last year and Cameron Hunter. was able to give the team 14 points, 3.5 assists, 5 boards per game, and they are going to be able to retain him. That's very big. Really, their main loss is Jackson Baker, and Jackson Baker is a guy that he wound up putting up 4.5 points per contest. He wasn't necessarily a terrible player by any stretch, but wasn't anything too great. They are a team that they wind up pestering teams because they do wind up playing a little bit more up-tempo. They don't necessarily do a great job of being able to generate turnovers, but you've got Eddie Couloud, who's going to be back and fold. A 36% three-point shooter. Colin Cooper wound up bearing about 36.5% of his threes as well. He was able to give the team 10 points per contest. They've done a good job of being able to get a little bit of depth as well as I do think that it's going to be interesting to see what you wind up getting moving forward out of eBay. Clintman. He was someone that wound up seeing 19 starts last season, was a little bit more of a defensive stopper as a six eight combo freshman. And this is a team that they've got a lot of guys that are now able to shoot a little bit better from three-point range. They were able to do a little bit more in terms of being able to shoot from the outside towards back half of the season and being able to have Jared Chapman, Darius Hall, Be able to combine for about 13 rebounds per game last season. That was certainly something that was big for them. You are going to be also losing Jerry Chatham. He wound up being a fifth-year senior last year, so that does wind up putting them behind the eight ball a little bit. But I like what I saw out of Hunter last season, this is a relatively young team with a lot of pieces that are starting to mesh together. And I think that last year, it was maybe a little bit of a fluke towards back out of the season. But I do think that they're going to be able to duplicate some of what we wound up seeing last season. So as a result, wound up putting Central Arkansas number 9 in terms of my projected order of finish. At number 8, we're going to be going with the North Florida Mighty Mighty Ice Spree and I was talking about it with Blake Lovell. With North Florida, there's not really a lot to love. There's not really a lot to hate. They didn't wind up losing a ton with regards to the transfer portal. They didn't really pick up a ton with regards to the transfer portal. They're just sort of there. Last year they wanted up finishing up seven and nine in conference, and I think that you're gonna see something different. They haven't done anything to really make them step up and really make you think that this is gonna be a team that's gonna be any better. They really don't have any reason to think that they're gonna be any worse as well. Carter Hendrickson is someone that's six foot seven, he's able to pop a couple threes, was able to give the team right around eleven to twelve points per game last season, but I thought he was gonna take a few more strides forward. It just seems as though he sort of is what he is at the college basketball level. You also want to being able to have... Jarius Hickman, as a sophomore, be able to step up. He was able to give the team 12 points per contest. Jose Placer is someone that's able to do a good job of be able to dole out the ball. Wound up having more like four to four and a half assists per game two seasons ago last year. That one falling to three. They wound up going with a little bit more isolation basketball. So that wound up hurting them a little bit. They are bringing in one transfer in Oscar Berry. As he winds up coming in from Fairleigh Dickinson, he was able to give the team right around six and a half points per contest. But he was out there in the NEC. Someone who was able to shoot 44% from three-point range. I do think that he's going to be a little bit of a cog for the team, but North Florida, when they really wound up having success a few seasons ago, they were really pushing the tempo. They were really able to knock down threes. This is a bunch in which they were one of the worst teams in all of college basketball in terms of rebound. rate last season, they won losing the rebound battle by darn near six rebounds per game. So that is going to be really key for them, being able to have some of these guys being able to step up, have some of these guys be able to grab a couple rebounds for you. And I do think that they're going to be able to do a little bit of a better job on glass because Jaden Parker, you take a look at what he was able to do last season, 8.5 points, 5 boards, he was able to chip in there, 1.6 blocks per game. And as a matter of fact, you wind up having three different players, Dorian James, Jonathan, Abar, they were all able to give you at least one block per game. So I do believe that there is some rebounding on this team to be had. They did not wind up having a single senior on the roster last season. I would have just liked to have seen them be able to do a little bit more with regards to bringing in a little bit more talent and with North Florida. I think that they're going to be improved on last, but... It's hard to fall from being 348 out of 358 D1 teams with regards to rebound rate. So at number eight in my projector finish, I'm going to be going with the mighty mighty Osprey of North Florida. At number seven, we're going to be going with the Bison of Lipscomb. I really thought that this was a bunch that was going to be able to take off under Lenny Acuff. It just has not been able to happen for them. They were in the bottom half of all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate. This, despite the fact that Asan Asadulla was able to be Mr. Do It All. And I will point out that Asan. Tadula did wind up missing a few games last season, which did wind up throwing off some of the chemistry and the rhythm of Lipscomb, which is why they were 6-10 and 10 in conference. And this is a man that's saying six foot eight, and he's able to do it all for them in the 25 games they wound up playing out of the, I believe, 33 that they wound up having. Fifteen and a half points, nine boards, four and a half assists, a block for contest. Wound up expanding to be able to shoot three. Shot 32% for three, but you did wind up losing in the offseason a couple key pieces. K.J. Johnson is someone that he did wind up highlighting. He is out at North Alabama. He wound up pretty much transferring, and he wound up going to a lesser school within the same conference, that is not necessarily a great sign for Lipscomb. This has not been a school that has really been able to do a great job of be able to uh, attract some transfers. They did wind up bringing in Parker Hazen a few seasons ago, and they are bringing in A.J. McGinnis, a guy that was playing out there in the backcourt for Cincinnati last season, a former top 500 recruit, but not a guy that I think is necessarily even going to be able to bust through and wind up having big numbers out here in the Atlantic Sun. I think that he's just a little bit too much of a guy that doesn't wind up shooting enough threes. To be able to really take hold in this conference, I don't know what he's going to be able to offer with regards to being able to facilitate as well. So that's a little bit of an issue for this team. Now, what I do take a look at is Jacob Njosevic. He wanted coming off the bench in a lot of games, but this is someone who, at six foot eight, came in from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and 19 minutes per contest, averaged 11.2 points. Four rebounds per game and shot 46% from three. Now, You know, he only shot two threes per game and a little bit of a higher usage role. I do think that he's going to wind up seeing a little bit of regression. So that is going to wind up hurting them a tad. And I did mention Parker Hazen as well. It looks like he's got another year of eligibility. So that is going to be able to help them out. But, you know, he wound up having right around nine points per contest. And the one thing that Lipscomb needs to do a better job of is defense. You take a look at this defense, and in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they were absolutely ghastly bad. Among 358 D1 teams, 326. I mean, if this team wants to be able to step up, they need to do better. Bellarmine, by the way, a reason why I was called on them. 342nd in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So it's not necessarily too terrific right there. That's part of the reason why I'm down on both of those teams. But with Lipscomb, I do think that they do have some relatively solid size. I do think that they're going to be able to hold their own. Asadula, one of the best players in this conference. I've got them number seven in terms of my projected or finish. And number six, we quote the great Lady Gaga. Don't be a drag, just be a queen. Queens NC. They are undergoing a coaching change, but with Queens NC, this has been a dominator out there at the D2 level last season. If Queens NC sounds familiar, they should, because they wound up taking down that McCure Maker led Howard team by double figures two seasons ago in that same season. During the 2020 21 season, they lost by one point on a buzzer beater against George Mason. They hung around with Belmont, losing that game by 12 points. This is a program that in the last seven years at the D2 level, they wound up scoring at least 80 and a half points per game in every single game. Their scoring margin last year, in which they won 30 games at the D2 level, was plus 16, averaging 85 and a half points per game. They do wind up losing their coach in Bart Lundy, who wound up going to UW-Milwaukee, but they wound up firing from within. They do wind up losing Jabari Smith, but four out of their top five scorers are going to be returning, including a point guard in Kenny Dye, who wound up being able to give the team five assists per game. This is a Queens-NC team that they do have a couple guys that they did wind up beginning their career out there at the Division I level as well, so having that experience, I do think that That is going to be able to help them out a little bit. You take a look at just what you were able to get out of this team in general. And night in and night out. They were very consistent. A team that they were never backing down from a challenge. And... What I like is that you'd have Quan McClooney, who is a six foot five, a little bit of a combo player. You wanted coming in from College of Charleston, UNC Asheville transfer BJ McLaren is six foot eight. He should be able to do a solid job down low for the team. I mean, we've seen the success of Bellerman, winding up bringing a little bit of a new style coming over from the D two level and being able to sustain success. I do think that Queens NC is going to be able to do the same. I've got them number six in terms of my projected or finish. And number five, I'm going to be going with the Governators of Austin P. With Austin P, you've got to love the fact that you've got a duo in Elijah Hutchins Everett, along with Caleb Stone Carowell. These two guys as freshman last year have 23.7 points per game, and this was the top under team in all of college basketball last season. They were in the top 40 with regards to Turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Now, the transition from that figure one, believing the program two off-seasons ago for UT Rio Grande Valley, that has been a little bit rough in the 64.7 points per game. That was the uh, third lowest output in the team's 59-year history at the Division I level, so that's a little bit tough, but... That said, they do wind up bringing in someone in Sean Duru Gordon. He was the number four rated prospect by 24 7 sports from the state of Connecticut for the recruiting class of 2021. He should be able to help things out. And I do like Carlos Payas, someone who was able to give the team a seal per contest. A very good pass for his point guard. Only wanted registering six points per game, but was able to give out right around three and a half assists to fewer than two turnovers per contest. So I do think that Austin P out here in their new surroundings, year number two under a n- little bit of a newer coaching regime, they should be able to take hold. They should be able to do a relatively solid job. So, as a result, in my projector finish, I did wind up going with the Governators of Austin P and number five and number four. I am going to be going with Eastern Kentucky. With Eastern Kentucky, it was just a cataclysmically bad year for the seam, and I noticed it with Jamaru Brown in the fold versus him being out of the fold. This was a different team, and the year that they wound up not having him during the 2020 21 season, it was one of the best years for the seam of program history. So, that was something that I thought was was very interesting, he is now at Coastal Carolina you did wind up seeing quite a bit of turnover this offseason from Eastern Kentucky as you wound up having Kurt Lewis winding up leaving the program. He actually went down to the non-D1 level at John A. Logan, which you typically don't wind up seeing a guy register double figures and decide that he is going to be going down to the Juco level, but we did wind up seeing it with him. But they do have quite a few pieces that are going to be returning. Michael Moreno last year was able to give the team 11.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. He is going to be returning to the fold, and even though it was still a down year, For Eastern Kentucky, this is a team that they've got a constant style and they constantly just create havoc. They were still in the top 10 in all of college basketball last year in terms of total steals per game, in terms of possessions that force a turnover on defense. They were still in the top 25 in all of college basketball. So this is still a team that they're going to be having that be their calling card. And they do bring in Isaiah Cozart. He was at Western Kentucky last season, someone that was... Coming in with a little bit of fanfare, didn't wind up seeing a whole boatload of minutes when I was over there at Eastern Kentucky, only wanted up putting up right around a point and a half. Per contest last season, but I do think that he could be a nice fit with regards to this program. Six foot seven, two hundred and thirty-five pound gentleman that does have a little bit of versatility. Buster Kentucky, they themselves do play a little bit faster. And then they bring in Darden Capati. He winds up coming in from Florida Atlantic. He's someone that's six foot ten. He should be able to give this team a little bit more of something down low. Someone who was a little bit of afterthought at Florida Atlantic, as we give our Odoline Kiffin Else, but I do think that honestly, perhaps throttling down a little bit more and looking a little bit more for quality instead of quantity might be good for the team as well. You can tell that Braxton Beverly just wasn't necessarily the world's greatest fit for the team as well, and it all just wanted coming back to defense. For Eastern Kentucky as well. Naturally, when you just wind up having more possessions at a game, you are going to just wind up giving up more points. As This was a team that was in the bottom 25 with regards to points allowed on a per-game basis. If you're taking a look at them, more on a per-possession basis. So that's what is really concerning because when it comes to a per-game basis, it is what it is. But points allowed on a per-possession basis, 254th in all of college basketball, and they wound up allowing nearly 18 more points per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. So they were very inconsistent with that regard. I I do think the thing's going to level out. I do think that with a lot of these guys who are really tied into the program sticking around, it is going to be an Eastern Kentucky team, which I do think that it was a case which Jamari Brown actually wanted to making the team a little bit worse. I do think that they're going to be able to take off this season. I've got them number four in regards to my projected order of finish. And number three, go Owls. We've got Kennesaw State. I mean, how about the job that Mr. Abdul Rahim has been able to do with this program? This team was cataclysmically bad a few seasons ago. I mean, I was talking about it. I mean, it was about three years ago that we were looking at this program and we were thinking, boy... This might be a bottom-five team in all of college basketball. And last season, they took massive strides forward. 7-9 and nine in conference. Doesn't necessarily sound too impressive, but they wound up having really one senior on the roster, and that would be Spencer Rogers, a guy that he saw his eligibility to be able to come back at 10.5 points, 10.5 assists per contest last season. They've been able to form themselves a nice point guard in Tara Burden, someone who I believe was a former top 250 recruit according to 24-7 Sports, 11.5 points, five assists per contest. This is a Kennesaw State team that also has been able to form themselves as a good three-point shooting team. They were in the top 15 all of college basketball. In terms of three-point shooting percentage, they were able to do a relatively solid job down low. They are playing a little bit more up-tempo. They're playing with a little bit more fun in general. And they've done a solid job of being able to now retain guys as well. This used to be a program in which they would just lose all of their guys via the transfer portal. They really don't lose any key pieces. Quincy Adamoka, he winds coming in from Temple, six foot six, a little bit of a combo player, was someone that was relatively highly touted coming out of Temple, a former top five hundred recruit. He should be able to come in. He should be able to give this team some relatively solid minutes as well, with not really losing much of anything. Via the transfer portal, I think that this is a Kennesaw State team that, under Amir Abdul Rahim, after they wound up having the world's worst time of it, they wound up winning a combined two conference games during the 2019-20 and 2020-21 season busted out for seven last season. I think that they're starting to turn the corner. I think that this is a year that they wind up breaking through into that top three. I've got them third with regards to my projector finish. And number two, I'm going to be going Florida Gulf Coast. Now, they do wind up losing the number nine score in terms of all of college basketball in terms of points per game. And Tavion Dunham, Martin, 21 points per game. He's just flat out of eligibility. And then you do wind up having Kevin Samuel leaving the offseason as well. He averaged three blocks per contest, but he also shot sub 40% from the free throw line as well. But, I mean, this is someone that, in Tom Chambers, wound up leading Penn State. Yes, Penn State to a top 10 ranking a few years ago. Now, what do you want up doing with regards to. The conduct that he sometimes wound up having with some of his players, that is a little bit questionable, but the man has gotten results, and I do think that bringing in someone like an Isaiah Thompson, who was playing at Purdue this last season, that is very big for them. He wound up starting 20 games for Purdue, and you take a look at Mr. Thompson, shot 42.5% for three-point range at the Big Ten level, and he's someone that in his three years at the Big Ten was able to average at least four points per game, and every single season he should come into the Atlantic Sun, and he should be able to take over. I mean, we have wound up seeing Tavion Dunbar. And someone who was averaging right around like nine or so points per game at two K, and he wanted up becoming one of the best scorers in all of college basketball. You wind up bringing in Sam Onu, who was last season over there at Memphis. He wound up not being able to hit the floor, but someone that was very highly touted, 6'11", foot during seventy pound big man. He pretty much winds up taking the place of Kevin Samuel. Hopefully, he'll be able to shoot free throws a little bit better. And then they wind up getting a transfer from within. They wind up bringing in Chase Johnson. He was over there at Stetson. 15 points per contest. Someone that from three-point range was able to stroke it at 40%. And it wasn't a cheap 40%. He wound up taking eight threes per contest. So Florida Gulf Coast, they are going to be in relatively solid hands there. Now... Obviously, it is going to be a little bit of a new look. You are going to be having some interesting pieces when it comes to this program as well because with Michael Fly getting canned, it is a little bit of a tough ordeal for the team, but we have seen coaches be able to just come in and you're number one here in this transfer portal day and age and be able to have results. And what I do like about this team as well is that you wound up seeing a lot of these guys wind up staying within the program as well. Someone like a Silas Largie who was able to give the team 10 points per contest. He is still with this program. You are going to be bringing back someone like a Zach Anderson as well. Anderson was able to give the team some meaningful minutes right around 5 points 3.5 rebounds per game. He should be able to play a nice piece for this team as well. So you do have quite a bit of talent in my opinion when it comes to this program and I think that Tom Chambers is going to be able to come in. He's going to be able to take this team to another level. I wound up bring them number two in my projector or finish and with Liberty and Jacksonville State out of the fold because I mean these were the top two teams for last season and if they were still out there in the Atlantic Sun they'd be towards the top of this conference once again but number one in my projector or finish with this new look Atlantic Sun we are going to be going with Jacksonville you wind up having just one player be able to average double figures last season and KV on Nolan 14 points four boards four assists per contest but now he's got a little bit of help Be able to pop a couple threes because that was really the one thing that Jacksonville was missing last season. They wound up having him be the only guy returning that was shooting above 31.5% from three-point range last season. But Jarius Cook, he is a cooking. He comes in from North Dakota State, average 8.5 points on 39.5% three-point shooting last season. They also wind up bringing in Dylan O'Hearn from NJIT. Wanted putting up twelve points, shot thirty-seven percent for three, and they bring back the trio of Mike Marsh, Osei, Osifo, along with Bryce Workman. All these guys wanna give the team between five point four and six rebounds per game for a team that was 14th in the country in three-point shooting percentage. They were seventh in the country in terms of total rebound rate. It was the first year under coach Jordan Mincy. Now, the one fear that you have is that with him now being a, another year in the fold in general, that maybe teams wind up figuring out this defense a little bit more, but they were able to sign me so many teams. And then this Jacksonville team is also going to be bringing in Omar Payne. He wanted to beginning his career out there in the state of Florida as well with the Florida Gators. Wound up just being glued to the bench for both Ellen. Illinois and Florida, but a guy that was a former top 50 recruit according to both 24-7 sports along with ESPN. Got to feel like he's going to add a lot down low for this team. They were 70th in the country with regards to just total points allowed on a per possession basis. Many of that wound up coming against power five teams that were able to do a solid job of be able to figure them out. But I take a look at Jacksonville. This team is relentless on the glass. Now they've got a little bit more help out there in the backcourt with another year under Jordan Mincy and the, what he wound up doing in season number one. I think the sky's the limit here for him in season number two. I've got Jacksonville number one in my projector finish out there in the Atlantic Sun and that will wrap things up for the Atlantic Sun preview edition of Coast, Coast Soup's now part of the Beeson Family a Podcast. I'm going to be doing one of these previews for all 32 conferences looking at every single one of these teams and if you're looking forward to those and you're wanting to keep up with everything that's happening in the college basketball this offseason, you are able to subscribe to this podcast Podcast, wherever you get podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, video, whatever have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters C M. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, irritable fire or whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Big thanks to Blake Lovell for joining me in the last segment, being able to break down all these teams within the conference. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the off season, taking a look at the news and notes of college basketball. And then once we get in season, picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. So i will be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.